Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Good Shabbos. So uh, according to Jewish tradition, well, the way that Jewish tradition developed over time was that there were only two times a year that the rabbis spoke publicly. And they were on Shabbat HaGadol, the Shabbat before Pesach, and on this Shabbat, Shabbat Shuvah, the Shabbat just before Yom Kippur. And it's probably, I suspect, for two reasons. One, that both of those Shabbatot, reflective of the holidays, are pinnacle moments in the Jewish calendar year. If you do a little bit of calculation, you well understand and see that they're equidistant from each other. The other thing, of course, is, is that both of these days, both Pesach and Yom Kippur, have a great deal of halachic technicalities to them. And in particular, when it comes to Yom Kippur, the technicalities of what would happen if one needed to break the fast, and the particular kinds of methodologies that Jewish law developed in helping people manage the course of the fast, if they have medical problems. But additionally also, maybe not surprisingly, is the sheer volume as well of Jewish law that deals with the question that Yom Kippur looks to solve. And that is the question of forgiveness. So I thought that perhaps what I would do is take the small amount of time that is allotted to me on this morning is to share with you maybe two questions about the most needed and the most difficult thing in our lives. And that is the question of learning or trying to understand why and how we forgive each other. And how does forgiveness even work? Like, where does it come from that if someone comes or if you should go and apologize to somebody, that what's the mechanics behind it that it actually resolves, dissolves, whatever wrongdoing that occurred? And we learn it as children, of course, because when we do something wrong, our mother or father tells us, say sorry. And so the reflex of apologizing for something it's something that's ingrained to, into us at a very early age, and we're taught to believe that it works. One other thing I just want to point out before I get into the kishkas of what I want to talk about, actually, is, uh, and I actually debated on my own mind if I was going to talk about this or the other thing, because there's so many things to talk about when it comes to this issue. Lots of things to talk about, lots of issues. But why is Yom Kippur called Yom Kippur? In other words, why isn't Yom Kippur called Yom Tshuva, the day of repentance? Why isn't Yom Kippur called Yom Slicha, the day of forgiveness? Why is Yom Kippur called Yom Kippur, the day of Kippur? We're not going to go into it, but appreciate the question. Two ideas about forgiveness. Because life is a damaging sport. Life is filled with a daily cycle of bumps and bruises, of hurts, of things that occur over the course of every day. Small things and sometimes big things. But over the course of a day, if before you were to close your eyes, if you reviewed everything that happened over the course of your day, invariably, if you were discerning and clear-eyed enough, you would see that there are people who had done something wrong to you, hurt you, slighted you, and probably things that you had done as well. So what happens in the course of forgiveness? Okay, two things. The first thing that happens is when 
you do something wrong to another person, or if you just do something wrong, there is a danger that everyone carries in themselves that they will be defined by what they've done as wrong. In other words, if you steal something from somebody, the great fear you have deep inside of yourself is that you'll forever be known as a thief. If you lie, the great fear that you have is that you'll forever be known as a liar. Not somebody who told a lie, but as a liar. When you seek forgiveness from another person, you ask them to see beyond what you did was wrong. I'll give you an example. And this is an example that you have all experienced in your life. It goes like this. You're driving. Someone cuts you off. And you get really angry. And you meet that car that cut you off at an intersection. And you look at the person, and they look at you, and they roll down the window, window and they say, I'm sorry. What, what happens to you in that moment? All of the anger that you had at that person, because what did you say to yourself? You said, Eze schmuck, like what an idiot. And you look at that person who rolled down the window and apologized, and no longer are they the person who cut you off. In other words, they are not defined by the brazen, aggressive action that they had committed in the car. But you saw beyond that infraction, and you saw a human being. And in fact, a sensitive one. And what your reaction is, I hope your reaction is, okay, like it's fine, don't worry about it. You roll your windows up, and then you smile. And you feel tender on the inside. Because you not only released him from that sense of being defined by that, but you also touch something in yourself. The capacity to see something and someone beyond what they have done wrong to you. You feel good about yourself. So the first lesson about forgiveness is, is that whether or not you are seeking forgiveness or someone is seeking forgiveness from you, the act of forgiveness enables us to separate the person from the wrongdoing. That you can see a human being beyond the action, which ultimately when you think about it, is one of the great challenges of human life, is always to see the human being. What did Maimonides, the Rambam, write, the great doctor? He said, at the Adam Bitsarlo, when I see a human being suffering, show me only the person. Don't look at a person who is sick. Don't see an illness. You see a person who is ill, first and foremost. The next step about forgiveness, second idea. And believe me, this is not an exhaustive list at all. Forgiving people is not easy. Over the course of your life, like certainly over mine, there are people who have done things that are wrong to you, and perhaps, I suspect, maybe things that are very, very bad to you. And even now, decades later, decades later, when I think over 
some of the hurts that people have hurled on and against me, I boil up in anger. It is not at all unusual for people to have feelings of revenge, of wanting to hurt the person in the way that you were hurt. In other words, forgiving is not an easy or simple thing to do at all. It's not. It's very, very hard. So the next question is for us, as we're approaching Yom Kippur, where we have to ask forgiveness not only from God, but we have to ask forgiveness from our fellow human beings of the things that we have done wrong for them, is how do we forgive people when it's really, really hard to forgive? And I want to give a simple idea to this. Because I acknowledge, even in myself, that there are things that have been done to me that even to this day I find it very hard to reconcile and let go of it. But over time, I have come to understand that forgiving people is one of the most developed and mature things you'll do in your life. And why is that? Because when someone comes and asks you for forgiveness for something they have done wrong to you, it, it is recognizing that we all share a common human brokenness. We are all equally fragile. We are equally broken and compromised. And in seeing that in other people, we see it in ourselves. Which, as a tangent, allow me this. A few years ago, there was an accountant in uh, Auschwitz who was brought to trial in Germany. He was like 92 or 93 years old. Maybe he was even 97. And, um, and I forget her name, and you'll forgive me, but there was a Holocaust survivor who went to Germany to his trial and offered, she said that she forgave him. And the question of whether or not you can forgive people for those things, was she forgiving for herself? Was she forgiving on behalf of the Jewish people? I want to say to you that one of the reasons why you can't forgive things like that, why, for example, no Jew should ever stand up, either as a representative of the Jewish people, Elie Wiesel said this very eloquently in a very different way, or as an individual to say, I want to forgive Hitler, or I want to forgive the German people for what they did. The German people who lived back then, not the German people who are alive now, because the German people who are alive now have done nothing wrong, nothing at all. Jews do not believe in collective guilt. The reason why you can't forgive a monster is because you can't see any commonality with the monster. In other words, there is nothing in that monster that you can see, someone who committed genocide, for example. There is nothing in that person that you can see that resembles anything in yourself. You, in other words, you can't see any space between the existence of that human being and the horror that they've done. You can't separate them. They're one and the same. But in the case of people asking us for forgiveness, it's recognizing that we all share this profound human bond of being broken. And in seeing that in other people, we see it in ourselves. In being whole, making other people whole, we search to become whole ourselves. But the ancient rabbi said it's so much better. It was the ancient rabbis 
who said that when a craftsman comes to do work in your home, they come only to do the work with the very best of tools. And if, and if a craftsman comes and their tool is broken, be it a saw or a screwdriver or a hammer, what do they go do? They go and replace the broken tool. All craftsmen do that, except God. God built a beautiful world, and God intends to make it more beautiful with broken tools. That's me and you. And by realizing the beauty of a broken tool that can learn how to make itself better, we repair not only ourselves, but the greater world that we live in. Shabbat shalom. Gemar Chatimatova, to a sweet, good, forgiving year.